We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Headlines. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host as usual, Joe Quinn. Hi there. We're joined this week by Harrison Keeley. Harrison, are you on Hi, the line? Everyone. Yeah, can you hear Good me? Good to have you here. Yes, Great. coming through the lab here. We've also got Bahar Azizi with us. Bahar, are you there? Yes. Hi, everyone. Good. Good, good. You're here, too. Excellent. So, this And we've got Carolyn with us as well. Who? Carolyn. Carolyn. Thanks. Good to have you, too. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Um, both Carolyn and Harrison, of course, um, co-host the Truth Perspective on Saturdays. You guys were discussing something yesterday. We're basically going to pick up the conversation, if you like. Don't worry if you've repeated yourself or if you find yourself repeating yourself on anything. I'm sure we can uh, always find another way to broaden perspectives and so on. So, yeah, um, we're going to be having a general discussion um, this week on objectivity, which is a it's kind of an obscure word, or can mean many things to many people. But uh, we're going to see if we can narrow it down to something quite specific. Especially in the con- in this, by, by looking at it in, in its contrast, so being objective in a subjective world. Um, of course, today is also Valentine's Day. We want to give. Does anyone know anything about Valentine's Day? I I was compelled to look this up because one of my colleagues pointed out that it had some bizarre origins. Uh, apparently, it was a Roman festival. Harrison, you are. Uh, one of our experts on the classics. Do you know anything about the the origins of Valentine's Day? No, actually. Sorry, guys. Um, well, the the, uh, the uh, Christianization of that festival was based on some spurious guy supposedly named Valentine who uh, apparently uh, had a new convert, a young girl who had been promised in marriage to somebody that she did not want to marry because she wanted to devote her life to being a Christian. And apparently, he came up with the money to buy her out of the marriage. That's one one thing I read, so that she didn't have to get married and she could be a proper Christian. And you know, Dad got the money, and I guess everybody lived happily ever after. Okay, well, I, I read something completely different. <laughs> okay, of the, course. It, but yeah, the, there's no one. Obviously, there's many legends and so on. I mean, today it's associated with uh, romantic love. In Roman times, it was. It's. It sounds like it's a lot sleazier than that. Um, it's a festival of, of Lupercalia, which was a, a spring festival to do with fertility and purification. So. That's what it was to the Romans, and one of the things they got up to was a love lottery, 
where young men, I'm reading here from, from an article I found, young men are paired with women through a simple lottery system. Names of all participating females are placed in the jar, after which each male draws a name, and he will be temporarily paired with this woman as his partner throughout the festival, so over a period of three days, the 13th, 14th, 15th of February. The pair then act, act, I don't know how serious the act is, but they act as lovers or partners for the entire duration of the festival, and the tradition was carried overseas by the ancient Romans as their empire grew, blah, blah, blah. So that's a pretty sleazy um, <laughs> Valentine's Day, which is uh, somewhat different to its association today with romantic love, which uh, is a far more recent tradition. And that's to do with a guy called St. Valentine, of which there are two or three different St. Valentines. Um, one of which, in fact, there are so many different stories that there are so many different stories, but they do have a lot of overlap um, between them. In some pl- parts of the world, it's a different date. It's not February 14th, but the principle is always the same. It's associated with romantic love. So that's Valentine's Day. Um, and that's all we're going to say on, on that, I think. <laughs> um, what did you guys on the truth perspective. What did you what did you realize in the course of um hammering out objectivity, what it is, importance and uh yeah. Give us an idea of what Well one of the things was central core ideas you came to core ideas. Well first of all one of the things we discovered was that there are a lot of um, contradictory definitions and concepts about objectivity. Um, but going through some of those, we kind of just narrowed it down to a basic kind of general concept of being or relating to truth and reality. So being able to come to an idea of um, or as close as possible to an idea of the truth, you know, what the truth of a situation is, and that can be about anything in the world, about events, history, science, or oneself. Um, so to kind of reject all of the relativistic ideas that there's no such thing as truth or everyone has their own individual truth, but to get to the, the idea that there there is a reality that we live in and there are better or worse descriptions of it, and that when you have... Um, some idea of the reality of the situation, then that can be um, a helpful thing for how to navigate reality. It's, it's a testable thing that if your concept and the decisions you make, uh, if you've got a, an accurate grasp of the situation and you make a decision or take an action, it has the intended effect because you've been able to take into account all the factors of the situation for good or ill. And also that this has something very much to do with subjectivity. So, um, again, if we just kind of look at all the best qualities of all the different ideas about subjectivity, um, the way we were kind of approaching it is that when looking at the world, we automatically have all kinds of cognitive biases and errors that affect the way that we see reality and accept what we what we will even look at in reality. So... That um, 
just from our the way our bodies are made, the, main, the way our brains are made, um, from you know the, the tens of thousands and millions of years of life on this planet, um, you know as physical organisms, we have certain ways that our brains work and um, our our cognitive ways of reacting to information and to coming up with conclusions about it. There are a lot of inherent faults in that, and then when we add on top of that all of the information and um, programs that get instilled in us during our childhoods and young adulthood all throughout life, there is just a whole a whole bunch of uh, obstacles in the way of being able to see things objectively because our emotions get in the way, might be past traumas that get in the way, and they, they color the, the way we see reality and even what parts of reality that we are willing to look at and that we actually become aware of. And also that, that these biases and programs are very exploitable, which is why it's doubly important to get on top of them. In a nutshell. Okay. In a nutshell. Very good. Um, when I was thinking of this topic, I thought, um, what about for all the people who don't have to ever consider this? I mean, they can people can live their entire lives in a subjective bubble, all the while believing they have a good grasp of what is what is objective. In fact, they assume things to be true in a way that if you were to actually question on them, one to the next person, each would have a, possibly a completely different view of what they believe to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. So what I'm getting at is people can live their whole lives in subjective bubble, believing they have a part, they, they, are, they exist in an objective world and that theirs is the true one, their perception of it, how, how, can there, how can an objective reality allow for such a broad array of different worldviews? See what I mean? In other words, mm-hmm. there, doesn't, there doesn't be any external factor challenging people to come to one objective worldview because they can live a relatively happy, successful, healthy life and die not ever knowing uh, even even in uh, one tenth of the lies they actually believed and caused harm in others by spreading that belief throughout their lives, you know? Um, well, maybe, maybe they would be healthy and yep. and successful by you know from their own point of view, but if you were to ask the people around them, you know, mm-hmm. you might get a different picture. Right. Okay. So feedback. If they get feedback that they may be on the wrong track or seeing something different uh, or seeing something plainly wrong, believing it. Questions. And from there, they might explore other possibilities. So um, I suggest that there's no external reason why people should, not, you know, ask any about the world, about themselves and their part in it. But it seems, in fact, that we live in a, a, a time, a time, I suppose, uh, in a certain state in the world where what is true and what is not. So some of the broadest examples. Pop news here 
a little bit about it, but you don't take much interest in it. It's, it's always been that way, it seems. But if they come in, if someone comes into contact with the U.S. or in general a Western narrative on events there, and then comes into contact with a Russian narrative or simply a different narrative, they, they have a problem because you, you cannot hold that both are true, that they're in conflict with each other. And in this way, I think people are forced to, to question many other things. But it's only once they've been confronted with something that's so radically different yeah. than what they previously mm-hmm. do. Um, yeah, it has, it has to do with the, the information that's available to you. And I think that one of the things that we talked on the show yesterday is that there seems to be kind of different spheres of objectivity. So there can be a, re- a really narrow yeah. sphere of objectivity where, like um, Stephen called in, and he talked about, uh, he brought up the example of a lawyer who um, is just working within the system, you know, and he's, he's living just a normal life. Well, what, you know, society considers as normal. And um, so when we were discussing that, we kind of got into it and said, well, that lawyer can have a very objective view on certain aspects of life within his life and can operate within that world based on, you know, the information that's available and the and that information then um, provides him with, with possibilities. Um, so he's, he's aware of what, the, what that little world is like and what his kind of range of actions is within that world. So he's able to actually get things done effectively within a very narrow um, um, slice of reality. But then the, the more of reality you take in, that, um, um, you know, there's a, there's, the objective world is a lot bigger than your own personal, um, you know, niche that you've built out for yourself in your life. And that if you, if you just have that, that um, like the mainstream news as your source of kind of world information, you might have a very unobjective view of what's going on in the world. And there's nothing really that will, that will snap you out of that unless and until you are presented with that alternative point of view, because then you've got that conflict. Okay, well, these two ideas are totally opposite, so which is the truth? And then you can actually, that might inspire some, some curiosity, like some drive to actually look into the issue and to try to read up on it and try to get to the bottom of which side actually makes, makes more sense and is more, um, more consistent with all the evidence that you're able to find. Okay. Um, at the most basic question we put forward here uh, is that truth is important, or rather, is truth important? Let's just ask the question. And I was trying to answer it. I was trying to answer it for myself. Why is truth about truth in general, truth about anything important to me? Um, and I could probably give a number of different answers. <laughs> I was thinking, well, which one is the, is the truth about why the truth is important for me? So, uh-huh. <laughs> and I realized that exactly. I realized that I don't really know. I don't know. It's just always been there. It's something. Oh, I think it's always been there. Anyway, I believe it to be. Maybe I'm rewriting my past in order to make it seem so. I'm aware of that. But does anyone have a strong explanation or even an idea of why the truth is important? Well, any one of our, I've thought about anyone on the panel? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. I thought, I, I've thought about that, too. And the, 
now this is just kind of like the germ of an idea. I haven't totally developed it, but I think that it's probably true for you and for all of us that truth has been important on some level for us for as long as we are able to you know, consciously think of anything because even on the most basic level, we need some sort of um, perception and awareness of reality. Now, if we were to to look at food and to see food as if it was some kind of dangerous predator and therefore avoid food, we would die. On the most basic level, we need to have some kind of awareness of the reality of things in order just to survive. And that can, that can expand and apply to so many areas of life, um, to more complex areas. So if even going back to the, the lawyer idea, that lawyer needs to have some kind of objective understanding of, of what he's reading when he's reading case law in order to know, um, you know what, the, what the precedents are and what he can do for his client in any given situation, there needs to be that, that one-to-one kind of relationship with reality. And it needs I think context. it's just a matter of scope. It, context. It, yeah, he, he needs context because work is, yeah, what he's doing depends on it. I, I think um, just looking back, you know, as you said, you're trying to look back at your life and see what the point was, is that sometimes it may come out of emotional conflict, like um, say you have, Social issues. You, you you know you you want to fit in. You want to get on. And what you're conceiving of what's going on, and acting on it, is not producing the results you want. So you sit there thinking, well, what is really going on here? And and in another phrase, it's like, what is the truth of the matter? Mm-hmm. So again, you, you go back to that survival thing. It's like you need you need to find a social place. You need to find. I mean, this is just one very tiny example. But if you can't get a grasp of what your social environment is actually functioning on what are the premises how you need to behave then you know you you perceive that dislocation as conflict as as pain and that can drive wanting to know the reality of things okay okay very good but now that doesn't that apply to everyone or at least to most people well i think it applies to everyone to to fit in for example Yeah. yeah So uh-huh. it's it's a very low level, but it's it's a drive for a truth that at least allows you to function efficiently, uh, comfortably at whatever level you're seeking. At whatever level you're seeking, okay. Yeah, and um, and then then it's the, you know how far you want to extend that. I guess would depend upon the individual. Hmm. I hear you, but mm. would that satisfy? Would that answer satisfy? Because. Any given person you ask is going to tell you, if you ask their opinion on anything, and maybe they won't have one, but if they do have one, off they go and they tell it to you. And mm-hmm. that's it. That, that's the truth for it. And they may have gone through pain and suffering and, like you suggested, some kind of conflict at some point that brought them to this truth or the truth right. as far as they're concerned. Yeah. And then what? What if what they're saying is not true? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. It just happens to work for them happens to work. They achieve some kind well, of... It... Go on, Harrison. Well, it happens to work in, I think, in very limited spheres. And just like if we take, um, if we just kind of bring it to the, to the everyday human level of basic experience, you know, I think most people say, for example, that they want to be happy. Now, but just because people have this inherent and even conscious desire to be happy, their behaviors and their actions in life won't necessarily get them that happiness. 
And of course, we see this, this like the, the kind of cliche example is the, the want and need for money, right? And people think that if they just get enough money, they'll be happy. And yet we, do, we have, you know, psychologists who have done research on this and found that, oh, well, you know, rich people aren't really as, as happy as poor people think they will. And there, there's the example of when people win the lottery, their lives don't get any better than they were beforehand. And so I, I think that this, this is just an example of the, the complexities of, of human life and the human mind is that we have these basic, basic um, desires and values that, that are, are there on a fundamental level, but, we, but if, if they are just left to, to proceed automatically, they don't really work very well. It's something that has to have some conscious input and direction into it. So people on some level may have this, um, this inherent um, appreciation for truth and even the, the, they'll, they'll value it at least verbally. So they'll say, yeah, I want to know the truth and this is my opinion on something. But that may be as far as they, as far as they go. And so like you're saying, they may actually be wrong. So I, I just, I think that, well, I don't know. There's, there's, something, there's something extra there, I think. That, uh, that really comes down to an individual level, whether someone is, is willing and able to take it to kind of the next level to, to ask themselves or to even acknowledge maybe that, that maybe I'm wrong about something, maybe this opinion isn't correct. And I think that in a lot of cases, like with me personally, some of the things that I used to believe, it was only when, it was only when I found and encountered the opposing opinion that I was able to ask or acknowledge that to myself and ask myself, oh, well, am I wrong about this? And of course, the first, the first reaction is that you know, you know, I'm right about this, and oh, what if I'm what if I, what if I'm wrong? That's a really scary thought, and it's painful, and you don't want to go there, and it may take a year or two, but then eventually, um, you know, you form a a new so-called opinion that is hopefully better informed, but then again, maybe it's not that informed, so it's just this kind of never-ending process, and I don't know, maybe that's just the way things are. Okay, so that's a scary thought. That that seems to be the limiting um, feature that you've both yeah. mentioned here. Uh, and it only so seems it, to be that. Go ahead. No, sorry. Go I was going to say that it, it only seems. Go ahead. <laughs> no, Delay. No. Okay. It may be that this situation is only evoked by conflict. Like if, if you have one of those happy, smooth lives where nothing bad ever happens and there's no provocation, there's no impetus to look further. So it almost seems at some level that, that human beings need confrontation and conflict and, and, and they need to suffer. They need to, um, well, Nobody needs to, but you know they say the only thing you need to do is die. But um, that was Sister William Marie, great one. <coughs> uh, oh, sorry, uh, think, but the idea is you... that that something has to provoke it. That uh, human mm-hmm. beings, I don't think, will will go to that questioning place until they're forced to by external circumstances. Right on. Okay, so suffering I... will provoke a, a, a questing for. A deeper truth, more to want to know. Well, hang on. I believe this up till now. This may not be true. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it, it's suffering that, that may be the factor. So in this time of, I mean, pro- just profound suffering on, on a massive scale, 
to the obvious factors in your face, like war, um, a power-mad elite, particularly in the West, but it, it, it's essentially a global structure that has declared a war. Think about this. This is really bizarre, right? A war on terror. So terror is the most extreme of the negative emotions, let's say. They've declared a war on it. <laughs> We're going to route it out. Everyone's going to remain happy. We're going to fight your terror for you and keep you happy. It's uh, and of course it's producing it's producing experience and real terror in people. Some to some degree or another, for some it's far worse because they're actually on the end of bombs and this the most destructive manifestation of that fear of that terror. But then for the rest of us, uh, we're by no means escaping in this um, great madness either. I mean, this happens in various means, economically, um, uh, socially, politically. We're all exposed to uh, very, very severe external factors are causing suffering on such a massive scale, and this provokes people to go, hang on a second. It, it's actually crumbling. It's actually taking apart, but by its own, inadvertently. Of course, this is the intention of the system's controllers, let's say, but unintentionally, they are pulling down beliefs that have held together a system for such a long time. And in that uh, destruction, People are beginning to question, well, what if everything I've held to be true, or at least this thing that I held to be true, is not true? And so we are got, <clears throat> we have been talking about this in some form or another, about being objective, the importance of it in this time. What what can we say it means? What does it mean to be objective? It does it mean to always be right? Well, before we go there, let's go to uh, a call from Steve in Tampa Bay. Hi, Steve. Hey, how y'all doing? Not too bad. How are you? Hey, Steve. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I just wanted to say something about uh, representation of what I said yesterday, and um, you know, I'm not. I'm, you guys aren't, aren't a lot off the mark with the. Uh, and I use the example of the lawyer, but. There's, there's one more component to that. Um, so then you have this uh, you have this theoretical lawyer. Everything's right with his life. He's making like a little bit under a half a million a year. He's got the he's got the the hot wife, you know, who who has enough money to have augmentations surgically, and they're in the right social circles. And this guy's establishing a name for himself as a defense attorney or whatever specialty attorney that this gentleman is. So what I what I said by that is that this guy's got a higher, you know, he, he marks higher than average on IQ. Um, everything is right with his world. Now, there's a, I mentioned the, the concept of pragmatics in this gentleman's belief system because, like, say, for example, um, there's so much that's sketchy in the dominant narrative with respect to Russia and Syria that um, it just really doesn't make logical sense, the dominant narrative. 
And if you follow the historical timeline, even of the official story, narration of events, it's um, the, the story, the dominant narrative with respect to Syria and the people that we've aligned ourselves with, the forces that we've aligned ourselves with, the Saudis, the Qataris, Turkey, um, the goals of uh, Assad's got to go. I mean, just on the face of it, it's a contravention of international law. It's um, it's it's really aligning ourselves with very cynical uh, forces, and um, you know it's almost like the idea of might makes right in this scenario. And then you have Russia and the situation with Russia and Ukraine. So the dominant narration with that is um, you know you follow it, and then they they downplay the NATO and the U.S. their aggression toward Russia, and. Um, so you really have to like exclude a lot of information and you really have to like not want to go deeper and, and really look at it in a, in a coherent way. So in other words, you have a, for practical purposes of your social relationships within your milieu, you have to like not even go there and, and become um, appraised of the nuances of these developments. You don't even do that because to do so would would um, would be would put yourself um, on the other side of the dominant narrative. Um, you would be you would be um, actually questioning the dominant mythos, the myth about who we are. You know what our intentions are as a country. You know we're exceptional. You would you would you would question that, and that would put you in a situation where you, it would cause conflict in your immediate relationships with your peers and with your neighbors. And um, that's just if you really wanted to be honest and know, quote, unquote, the truth of the situation, just that, just looking at it um, and not even having to investigate deep, deep, read a bunch of books and all of that, but just using a critical thinking capacities it would put you on, and being and, and you wanting to be a seeker and believer and purveyor of quote unquote truth, that would so much put you on the outs with everybody around you that for practical purposes you won't even you won't even go there and, and that's just to protect your your livelihood and your social relationships within your your, the dynamic of life that you've established and ensconced yourself within at this particular context. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 t- yeah. totally. So it's, it's... I just, I just thought, yeah, I just wanted to interject that it's important to look at that whole scenario, and this can not only apply to a, a lawyer; it can apply to anybody. You know, if you're a maid in a hotel, or you know, whatever your life situation is. The, the sad thing, and, and I guess it's just the reality that, that I've come to understand, is that there's this mythos, these huge lies that we're supposed to believe as a citizen, and it's just that we're for freedom, and and it's just such bollocks. It's just so much BS. But to come out and say that it's a lie, you would you would totally disrupt your ability to make a living and get on with other people. And and that's the biggest obstacle that I see is that most people know that the dominant mythos is a big lie. 
and, and that's across the board in every race and social milieu. Everybody knows it's a big lie, but you to go against it and uh, to point out where it's incoherent would so much put you on the outs that you will find it difficult to just maintain a living for yourself. And um, that's kind of where we're at, in, in my opinion. Although there's a pot. My, yeah. Although, um, and now a song. I don't know if you guys are getting that. We're hearing some music there. Um, Steve, uh, although the thing is, you're saying that every, everybody knows it, uh, but it would be a problem if somebody stood up and said it. But I suppose if enough people stood up and said it, then everybody who knows it would simply turn around and go, yeah, I agree with that. And you could have a kind of a shift or a change in the in a lot of things, potentially, you know? Yeah, and, uh, and and I say that, well, it's hard to say that everybody knows it because it would seem that everybody knows it, but then maybe people are in certain levels and depths of denial about it. So, that, you know, it's a complicated issue to um, to make general statements about because you have all these nuances of, and particularities of people's individual consciousness. and But, uh, you know, I think that things will break down and the dominant narrative becomes more questions in times of crises where to hold these beliefs makes it impossible for you to engage in anything, uh, any changes that would be necessary for survival. And um, that would be in a context of economic economic breakdown on a very severe level. And which we haven't gotten to that point yet. But um, I just think it's, you know, I've been paying a lot of attention to, uh, you know, like environment in my life. You know, I've been paid a lot of attention. I've had concern about the environment. But then I, I try to engage change in a, in a social context where people put chemicals on their lawn that go directly into the lakes that they live on, which feeds algae blooms. And, and so you get a lot of ugly-looking algae just as a direct result of your, your cultural practices living on this body of water. And to, and yet people continue to do it. They continue to put the chemicals on it. And um, and you don't even dare, like, mention it because you won't, won't be able to maintain your relationship with these people. And this is the reality that I live in. And um, I've been trying to engage change, and it's so severe that when you have people that just pollute their own lake and then they knowingly do it, I use that example as a homology, as as an associated level of uh, actions and beliefs that I think that are also connected to the uh, the ideas you know of imperialism of the United States' place in the world and our actions, and there's a connection there. And, it, and it's really weird, and, it, and it's it's sad, it's weird, and it's it's, uh, it's sublime. You know, it's on a level that's hard to. It's almost inscrutable, but it is scrutable. Uh-huh. It is you are you are capable of, of diagnosing it, but it's not a pretty conclusion. It's not a pretty conclusion that one comes to. And and I won't wouldn't dare even like mention that topic to people because it's so painful that you'll be rejected. 
and I'm this is the life experience that I'm living right now, and um, I have no answers for it. I try to help people not do that, but it's like you can't mention the thing that you're trying to help them not do. So it's just really weird. But anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. But um, my, my whole thing was just look at the pragmatics of it because I really don't think that we're all that dumb that we don't know what's happening. But we know it on some level, but to confront the fact in its face and be honest about it, that, that's another uh, that's another level of thought and action and authenticity that's it's a hard one, you know. So anyway, th- yeah. thanks a lot. I look forward to listening to the rest of the show. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, thanks. Steve. Take care now. Bye-bye. I have another analogy, which is sort of like Steve's, but different. What if, is is it comparable? He's talking about um, people poisoning their lawns. So that's something external to the person, right? Is it a comparable situation where if you have false beliefs and you continue to inform those false beliefs by believing information that matches a suits is a suiting information for those beliefs, and then those beliefs inform literally the DNA cells, and then you go on, you carry on feeding objectively into your bodies, but all the while believing that it's basically good food. In this example. I mean, think of think of that at a personal level. You are basically doing what Steve's talking about in the external world to yourself based on wrong information. So, so what I'm getting at here is people literally are, you know, in, inside their own body, so to speak, are physically full of lies and they maintain that status through their diet, in this example. But it could also apply to other things like medical practices. You believe that the health system is set up in a way that it's going to help you when you're in trouble. You believe what your doctor says. Take these pills. Okay, doctor, how often? Right, okay, off you go. And you <laughs> you don't just not improve, you get worse. Complication arises from it down the road. That's the level of um, that's the level of beliefs that uh, what am I saying here? Would you say that life is objectively telling you the truth of your actions by the results of them? Yes, and in 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 the most personal way possible. So it's it's your own system. It isn't so it, in. In uh, Steve's example, it's the neighbor's lawn, and therefore your your relations with the others around you. Whereas, at an even more profound level, it's sort of your own relationship with yourself. The lies you believe mm-hmm. harm and poison your own body, your own internal environment. The thing that you know we've come to in so many different ways over the years when people say to us, oh, you've got to support this cause or what do you think about this? Can you get behind us on, on uh, supporting human rights in this place and so on? 
And we keep coming back to the fact that you cannot change something out there. That the only real change that can take place is of yourself. Um, change your own beliefs and the world changes with you. The thing is, it doesn't. At least not in a direct way. Because how, how many times we hear people saying, yeah, okay, I get what you're saying about the world and it's so messed up. It's big lies. I know. I see it all now. I get it. I get it. But what can I do? You know, I, I see it all anyway, so what's the point in doing if it's all if it's all going to go down the toilet anyway, what is the point in changing my beliefs? Uh, it's a tall order. You know? It's a tall order because people have to unlearn everything pretty much. Everything they thought they knew about the world. Um but I would always say to them, well, hang on a second. The only reason you can even ask that question, the question, if the world's going to hell anyway, why should I bother changing? The only reason you are in a place to, to be able to ask the question is because you can already see that the world's going to hell. I, you see through a lie, and it means that you have already changed. Now, you're not in a, in a pleasant state at present. Um, Everyone goes some depression when they start purge, sometimes quite literally in a physical sense, some of the false beliefs they've held throughout their lives. In, I think it's in large part because people suffer from a kind of withdrawal symptoms because the, the lie was comforting on so many levels. And you, you get you literally get withdrawal symptoms from it, and you go through a period of depression. And uh, but that that's why we have a big network, you know, because we can help people to give them support and to encourage them, and to have a little faith and understand that this is a transient thing, because it can and and it does give way to joy and happiness. I'm going to speak. I don't know if. I, Every one of our panelists feels joy and happiness all the time, but uh, I think we can all get glimpses. But it it nourishes wanting to continue. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> are you people still there? Yeah, you were cutting out for a second, yes. so we didn't hear that last bit. You're kind of getting okay. choppy. We're getting choppy. Yeah. 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 Well, we're gonna, that's why we're affected. Don't tell. Like that. <laughs> huh? You were choppy again. But I was just thinking, what? you know, perhaps ask, asking people to uh, sort of. Macro beliefs about the world is a very tall order, but if they can test it on small levels, say on diet, you can test a change of beliefs on diet, change your diet, change your thinking, and if you see an improvement on that scale, then there is sort of encouragement and strength and, and a willingness to to enlarge your 
you know, looking at your beliefs in other areas too, because you've tested one thing and it worked. You know, you're not arthritic anymore. You don't have allergies, whatever. I mean, I'm just talking physical improvement. But I, I think human beings kind of need they, they baby steps will work. You know, you tried one thing, it worked. Okay, let's see what else we can do. Um, truth is chewed slowly and in small bites. Yeah, and then you realize the health industry doesn't really care about your health, so you know, mm-hmm. maybe you'll start searching for things that the government does and doesn't do it in your best interest, and then you keep going from there if you're curious. So, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. it's in baby steps. Well, I, think right. the whole, I think the whole analogy or just the example of the, the, the lies, the bad information that you put in your body in the form of food it's really um, a good microcosm of, of the macrocosm, or it's a good analogy. Of, it, it spreads to kind of every possible example because uh, it, get, it gets back to, I think, what Stephen was talking about, about the pragmatics of a thing, how when you really look at it, pragmatics, it works both ways. So this, this lawyer guy can, can um, stay in his life because of this pragmatic reason for not wanting to be ostracized or to um, because he wants to be able to still function in this world that he's functioned in. But on the other hand, like you're saying, Neil, this when you when you are putting lies literally into your body and incorporating them into your basic genetic structure, that will lead to a bad effect. Your body is essentially falling apart and will will eventually be destroyed because of it. And I think this applies on all levels. When we no matter what the type of lie is, if you incorporate it into your into your being and into your your mind, let's say as a as a deep belief, then inevitably that will lead to some kind of negative outcome, some kind of even destruction. And I think this can have this can apply even on the the big level, like the the awareness of political events and the just the way politics and history works. So we see that in the in the cliché. That you know, if you don't list, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. If we have these beliefs that we are unwilling to change about the way the world works and about the current power structures, then we will get what well what we're getting right now, and it'll only get worse. And so I think that well, just another thing to to come back to in that example um, about the pragmatics of of living in this kind of world and with these kind of ideas. If we have that lawyer, I don't necessarily think that that lawyer um, is being totally pragmatic. I think what it comes down to is essentially how far he is, he is willing and able to go, and this comes down to what he truly values in life. Because I think that a lot of us have found ourselves in situations very similar to that lawyer, where we were in a situation which wasn't really, um, well, at, at the time looking at it, it didn't really seem to align very well with these new truths that we were learning. But uh, an example that just sprang to mind is if you, it may not be a great one, but if you think about a spy, you know, a spy has a, a prime directive, a, 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 a larger mission that, is, that he, is, he or she is working towards, and that will necessitate being a part of a world, basically putting on a show for the world in one area. And I think that that's the way, at least that's kind of the way I see it in certain situations that I am, I am living in, like I'm, let's say I'm this lawyer, I'm living this lawyer's life, but really I've got a secret life. I know what's going on, I know I know what's going on, and on the side I'm doing something completely different, and I am kind of um, giving the dog a bone 
throwing the dog a bone by being this lawyer and continuing to live this life. But I think even within the life that we find ourselves, there is still a lot of room for maneuvering and for doing new things. And I think this comes back to how people react to that suffering that comes about when we learn this new information. Because if we, if we learn, if we, well, if we, are, if we encounter something new that causes this kind of inner crisis, this depression, let's say it's the question of, well, yeah, I know the world is so bad, but what can I do? Well, at that point, there's a, a choice. There's kind of this branching of possibilities. We can go one way or the other. Now, um, to just kind of simplify it on that level, we've got, on the one hand, we can say, oh, well, it's just, it is hopeless, there's nothing I can do, so I'm just going to continue valuing the things that I valued before. And this can just be the money, the lifestyle, um, the, you know, the car, all the, the wife, all that kind of stuff. Or if that suffering is intense enough to, to actually make us realize that we value something else more than that, and that's the, the, the time to change. And I think that's kind of the moment that we all come to numerous times in our lives. It's that moment of choice where we have the opportunity to, to well, I don't even know if it's an opportunity. It's just our values are, are, are we, we come into confrontation with our values. And I think that as long as people continue to, to fall back into old patterns, I think that the, the billboards will keep on coming and that, that it will eventually get to a point where you, you come to a situation where things totally break down. And that's when, hopefully, or maybe, you realize that there is something else that, that matters more to you than what has mattered to you for, the, the, for your previous life. Unfortunately, many people don't go that way, and they destruct, and they fall apart. In psychological terms, you can find this when people just either commit suicide or go into a deep psychosis, where there's, they, just, they cannot come out of that that uh, that disintegration, that mm-hmm. um, that depression, or, and or they develop oh. they develop an illness. I think yeah. of the explosion yeah, of illness. cancer or Parkinson's or other Alzheimer's, exactly. brain degenerative diseases. I mean, the brain literally degenerates. Um, what if, at a fundamental level, that's accumulation or a breaking down of lies in a way that the the person involved has no control over because it's happening to them. It's it's come to them one way or the other, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you could say when they've gotten to that point, they've ceded control. They may have had many opportunities and chose not to exercise it. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, the another topic. We said we discussed today. We're not, we're not leaving this. We'll come back to it um, here and there. But it's obviously connected. It's the issue of morality and politics. I mean, mm-hmm. I want to. Joe, you recently made a distinction between leadership and authority. I did. You did, yeah. Can you, <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember? Do you remember what you were saying? I thought it was an important point because. It um, it clicked for me because it made sense as to why people, in spite of everything getting worse, cling to authority. It seems that they were confusing it for leadership. Um, 
Yeah. That, um, the difference between, uh, I think what I was saying was the difference between leadership and authority is that, um, I mean, we see it, a good, uh, we see it uh, a good example of it, <coughs> example of it in the world today, where the kind of Western powers simply have, uh, simply have authority, but no leadership, um, because leadership is, uh, they, well, the, the Western powers, for example, in, in the world today have, have attained to a position of authority, uh, but they don't show any signs of leadership. Now, probably a lot of people think that authority and leadership is the same thing, but it's not because um, leadership is something where, I mean, it's a positive trait um, for most people. Leader. When people think about a leader, it's someone who uh, you know, can lead people in, lead other people in the right direction. It generally has positive uh, connotations. But uh, you can have, well, and of course, leaders have authority to do that. Uh, and usually, the authority that they have is because they are good leaders. You know, it's the authority is given to them or invested in them by the people that they're leading because they're doing good for them. But authority uh, on its own is simply authority for its own sake. And it, um, I think, for a lot of people, even if you just think about those two terms, the term authority it, it has more negative connotations than positive connotations. You know the authorities, etc. It doesn't necessarily mean, any, mean anything positive or good. And uh, what we see today, like I was saying, is the, uh, in, particularly in the West, or the global lead, global authority today, is they're not, they're not leaders. They're not leading anybody in any good uh, direction. They're leading the world in a very bad direction. It's just authority for its own sake. Uh, and they are getting off from the simple fact of being authorities, and they have uh, assumed that authority themselves themselves uh, by force effectively um, they have taken that authority and they lord it over other people uh, whereas the idea of a leader or leadership is um, where it's um, it's not forced on people it's basically it's, um, it, it's something that uh, usually people will will voluntarily kind of agree to or vote for a leader or, or you know push a leader or push a person into a position of leadership, and very often you'll find that if you look at the best leaders, the greatest leaders uh, in 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 history under this definition, um, they are people who probably didn't really relish um, the uh, the position that they were in. They saw it as a, a, a position of responsibility, of a heavy burden, effectively. Uh, and they didn't compete to get to the top. No, they didn't. And I'd say, like, I mean, I'm, I mean, here I would use Putin for exa- as an example. And if you want to jump back 2,000 years, I would use Caesar as an example of this. Um, mm-hmm. And you get the impression from both of these people. You could throw in JFK there as well. And, you, I mean, just look at the conditions of their lives, really, you know. Um, Caesar obviously was assassinated by his own so-called friends, these authoritarians, I suppose, or... Uh, who, who resented his leadership and resented the authority, the genuine authority he had um, because they didn't have it and they couldn't offer it to the people. The same was true of uh, JFK. He was assassinated by his quote-unquote friends um, for, for very much the same reason. And you see uh, Putin in a similar position. Uh, hopefully he won't be assassinated. But you, see, you get the impression from Putin that he also bears or shoulders the burden of his authority and his leadership uh, kind of heavily um, because he feels the, the sense of responsibility um, 
in, in carrying out that function, whereas uh, Western leaders uh, simply get off on it. Uh, they don't provide any leadership. But like I said, they lead the world in a very mm-hmm. bad direction. They cause death and suffering and destruction across the world, and they don't care, and they're only in it for the authority in and of itself. And in fact, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes a situation with those kinds of people where um, obviously the idea of attaining authority illegitimately by force is really the antithesis of genuine or true leadership quality. They are the anti-leaders, effectively, even though they are the established authorities. And, uh, no, it seems like, it like kind of gets a the difference into, would be... Uh, who's that? That's Carolyn. Yeah. Go ahead, Carolyn. I was going to say that... The, yeah, I was just going to say the difference seems to be uh, all that authority has, at least as we understand it in this times, is the ability to compel. But right. a but, leader, true leadership inspires. In other words, people of their own volition become inspired by the view of the person who would who would be the leader and follow voluntarily. There's no compulsion. They they agree with this vision. Right. They go along with it. They support it. They they give their best to make this inspiring vision happen. But authority can only put a gun to your head and say, do this or else. Right. Or uh, we know this in the authorities that I was talking about today, uh, the Western authorities today, they, they try hard to um, <clears throat> to appear to be great leaders, but it all rings mm-hmm. so hollow all the time. And, of course, they uh, provide evidence mm-hmm. of their lack of leadership all the time by their actions, despite what they say. I mean, you could... Uh, and, of course, it's getting very bad at this point, but the so-called leaders um, in the West, in America in particular, are just... There. It's a bit of a sham. It's a farce. You know, it's, it's a joke. It's got to the point where it's an overt and public joke. Uh, I mean, look at the list. We were talking about this last week. Look at the list of presidential candidates uh, in the U.S. And you have take take Jeb Bush, for example. Uh, I mean, what what can you say about someone who stands up there and, and and talks to some people at a town hall meeting and then has to turn around and say, "Please clap," uh, you know, with this kind of sad sack face? Please clap. I just said something really inspiring, didn't I? And no one clapped. Oh, okay. Well, let's go clap for you because you asked us. You know, I mean, that's just a, such a perfect example of really a complete uh, lack uh, of leadership, of leadership qualities. Like you just said, Carolyn, uh, these people would naturally be inspiring people. Uh, so he, was, he wasn't forcing, he was like <laughs> pleading begging. for people to, uh, to begging for people to uh, appreciate his, his so-called leadership qualities that he obviously does not have and he's not the only one, obviously, the rest of them are all the other presidential candidates are all like bluff and bluster and very, trying very hard to appear to be inspiring. Uh, but it's so pathetic. It's like it's a really childish mm-hmm. and sad uh, kind of facsimile of, of what real inspiration or leadership inspiration would be, you know? I mean, you see them all. <laughs> it's uh, like, what's his name? Uh, floppy, floppy hair. Um, I forget his name. It's Donald. Donald Trump. Uh, Beheaded Trump is a uh, face Bobby Head is um, he and the rest of them. Their inspiration in terms of they're they're meant to be inspiring people, obviously, if they want to be the president of the United States, of the, of the free world, etc. And um, they what they come up with is they they all come up with the same thing, and it's kind of rather pathetic. Which is their tagline or their their chant is. We, I want to make America great again. And 
this has been over so overused. It's it's farcical at this point. I mean, he's not. They're not the first people to use it. This has been used repeatedly in presidential campaigns, and this is the best they can do to try and inspire people. You know, I want the American people to be great, and I want America to be great. And if I'm president, America will be great because you know I'm great, and it's all great, and everything's great. I mean, their vocabulary is extremely limited because they lack any fundamental uh, eloquence or, or true natural. Uh, gifts or, or qualities that would actually inspire leadership so they have to be dictionary and look up inspiring words and that's what they then cheat at their at their talks so um yeah and the subtext of that is actually kind of ironic too because if we're going to make america great again what are you telling everybody we're not great now it's like mm. listen to yourself dude yeah it's an, it's an acknowledgement that's uh-huh. all the other guys yeah but that's these guys are pretenders. Um, they're pretenders, and increasingly they're, they're being seen for the pretenders that they are. But notice what they have to pretend to be. There's an awareness that people are looking for something that is true, objectively true. They, they want leadership. They want things to be working well. Mm-hmm. They want peace. They want stability. They want success, yada, yada, yada. So these people, these pretenders, have to at least simulate or come up with a facsimile of exactly what the, of that objective reality. And the, anyway, the net result is we live in a world where it's not just politics, but it's from the top down. Nearly everything is a facsimile of something else. I mean, we'll just get the object uh, objectivity subjectivity and truth versus lies uh, business. It's obviously a, a problem for people in that uh, I think, I mean, we talked about it already, but one of the main motivating factors for people um, not uh, sticking to the comfortable truth over the the uncomfortable lie is that it makes them feel, it makes them feel bad. Uh, it makes them feel good when they're told that they're a great nation, you're a great people. You can say all these positive things to people and, um, and you know, it's it, when you're encouraging people to to feel good despite all of the evidence that you should be feeling bad, um, you know, people will go with that to the best of their abilities because everybody wants to feel good uh, rather than rather than feel bad. But the problem is that that's just a denial of objective reality. That's a denial of, 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 of things that are a direct threat to your happiness. So you're basically putting off the moment in which you're going to have faith and truth for it life and reality and, and the world around you. I think we've already talked about this. Instead, is not great, as Donald Trump would say. And, um, but if you keep saying we're going to make it great again, you believe in this potential president uh, who says he's going to make it great despite the fact that he he does not is not the kind of person who would, who would do that, that is not well pensioned really like the rest of them like pre presidents just going to um drag the place drag the whole country further down uh, is going to serve corporate interests selfish interests and impoverish the people and just further the degradation of society if you accept that and don't realize that and realize that all of these presidential candidates are all a bunch of selfish scheming corrupt uh, scumbags, and that you should just walk away from all of them and not vote ever again until somebody, you know, genuine comes along. If if you don't do that, uh, and you believe in the lie, if you don't recognize, you know, 
what the facts on the ground, which are are that these people aren't aren't uh, trustworthy, and you and you invest in them to make America great again, then they're not going to do that. Obviously, I mean, you can look at all the facts that they're not going to do that, and then eventually that can only go on, go on for so long until some kind of a serious disaster or serious problem comes on the country as a whole, i.e., on all the people in the country, and then you're all going to have to deal with it. Uh, and only then will you wake up and say, you know, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, but by that point, it's usually too late because it's, you know, they've set fire to the place effectively and uh, you're not going to be able to put out the fire and then you suffer. And so, I mean, there's there's lots of reasons, uh, obvious reasons why people should uh, face the truth about uh, the world, about their own personal lives and about, uh, you know, the state of the world and what's, uh, how, how it's likely to impact them. But... Uh, people didn't sign up for that, or at least a lot of people think that they didn't sign up for that. People just signed up for, you know, just living their normal lives, and they invest uh, a responsibility or a, a authority in, in, in authorities to take care of these things for them. And uh, and to a certain extent, uh, I can understand and agree, and I would give people a kind of a certain out in that sense, you know, uh, in that they are not responsible most people are not responsible for the running of the country. You know, uh, this is the sham of democracy where people are told that, uh, you know, they are, they have a direct participation in how the country runs, uh, but in fact they don't. And this goes against the very basic idea of uh, authorities and why people need authority in their lives. People need authority in their lives to take care of the big, uh, the big uh, problems, the big issues for them while they just get on with leading their normal lives and going to their, their jobs and, and, you know, living out their, their family lives, etc. So uh, to then foist this back on people and make them in some way, make them feel or, or tell them that they're in some way responsible for the big issues is a, is a kind of denial or a, a, an abrogation of responsibility that the people have, have naturally invested in authorities. I mean, you, you shouldn't be telling people that they're responsible for it. So when the country goes down the tubes and everything falls apart, you can say, yeah, it's all the American people, all the European people's fault. But it's not. Because, you know, look at the issues that are causing these countries, uh, these uh, areas of the world to, to, to start really go down the tubes right now. Uh, ordinary people, by and large, do not, did not have any input or influence over creating those problems, or, and they don't have the ability to solve them. These, this is the the work of these authorities, the only responsibility that people have, and this is what we're talking about, is to at some point recognize that these authorities are illegitimate. They are destroying the country in which you live, they're destroying your society, they're destroying your livelihoods, and ultimately they may end up, end up destroying you. So that is the, level, the only level at which people have responsibility, which is to recognize that fact. And I think that's why things are left open and, and, and allowed to go on for so long, that people are given a lot of opportunity because there is a certain uh, absolution, a certain level of absolution that the ordinary person has, because they're only ordinary people. Uh, but at some point, it gets too obvious. The, the world or life, whatever, shoves it in your face long enough um, where really you can't say, I didn't know anymore. It's no longer reasonable, even for you as an ordinary person, to say, I did not know. It's in your face, you do know. I mean, look at the refugee business in in Europe that everybody's complaining about right now. I mean, it's not a stretch. I mean, if you're a normal, average, intelligent human being, it's not a stretch or not difficult for you to understand and to see 
that the refugee crisis or problem in Europe that is supposedly threatening to, you know, break up the fabric of European society and cause, you know, uh, you know, Nazi Germany or whatever all over again. Uh, it, it's not a stretch to see that that it has been caused directly by your leaders in the West who have been for the past 15 years bombing and invading and killing people in the Middle East and causing this refugee crisis. So to turn around, for an ordinary person to turn around then, blame refugees or attack refugees, I'm sorry, that's when your kind of uh, excuses run out. That's when, you're, when the leeway that has been afforded to you, uh, that's, that's the limit of it. That's where it stops. And that's where you have to use your God-given abilities as an ordinary person to simply go, well, 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's all you're expected to do. So mm -hmm. the universe or the world or life or reality is very accommodating in that respect. It's not being cruel or mean to you. It's, it's, it's soft-selling a lot of things to you. It's making it very, very easy for people to do it. And it's only when people really insist and persist in their complete denial and illusion uh, that then the, the chickens come home to roost for them. It's only at that point when they uh, have to bear the responsibility. And even then, there's a lot of leeway because, uh, you know, whatever universe life, whatever reality understands in its intelligence also that these people are being uh, denied the ability to see that because they're being propagandized against uh, all the time by these same leaders. Uh, so, um, but I think there is a point as well where the propaganda and the lies and the illusion that are being foisted on people uh, are very transparent and very obvious as well. Uh, so I think there is a kind of cutoff point in that sense where that uh, leeway that's extended to people uh, is no more and the, the responsibility or the problem gets dumped on your lap. Um, and it would be nice if people would wake up to that simple 2 plus 2, two, plus two equals 4 equation uh, before it takes the form of a big 2 plus 2 equals 4 billboard falling on their head. Yeah. I know. But also, too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bahar. Um, yeah, I know a good example of people, some people being persistent and believing lies. Um, I have a couple of Turkish friends, and I often talk to Turkish people to see what they think about Turkey and its role with ISIS. And um, a couple of weeks ago or several weeks ago, it was pretty much in the news that Turkey was having oil dealings with ISIS and supporting the terrorists. And I asked them, and they were like, no, that's all Russian propaganda, and they sent me a link, and when I read the link, it's from a new source that's totally anti-Russian and, you know, pro-U.S., and, and these people, they just say, Erdogan is great, and my country is great, and they have this nationalistic uh, flavor to their way of looking at the world that whatever Turkey does, it's good, it can't be wrong. And I just really can't believe it. If, I mean, you only have to look at the footage, the video footage of um, those oil trucks, you know, going to Turkey and then uh, going through Iraq or something and into Syria. It's all there if you're ready to look, but for some reason, I guess it's just painful to know that yeah, maybe the leader that they look up to is basically lying to them. Right. And I think that's why, I mean, back to what we were talking before about the, 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 the people, to be able to do that, 
to be able to look uh, or get past your own bias and your own prejudice about, you know, my country and my leader against, you mm-hmm. know, no matter what, no matter what they do, they're, they're always good. Uh, people <clears throat> uh, need to have had some experience of seeing the lies that they themselves tell, because we get down to a problem here of lies and, uh, and, and wanting to believe the kind of the more comfortable lie rather than the uncomfortable truth. And people in Turkey will want, or, or Turkish people uh, uh, anywhere, will want to believe comfortable truth that, you know, Turkey, the representative of their country that they feel identified with, that makes them feel good, mm-hmm. uh, their leader is cannot tell a lie type of thing, you know. Yeah. But um, people who have had a, their own personal experience of believing in their own personal comfortable lies and the pain and suffering that that has caused them uh, and realizing how pernicious and how how uh, dangerous that is and how much pain it can cause them, uh, Mm -hmm. people who have gone through that process will be much more able to, um, you know, get over their attachment to nationalism or or that kind of identification because there's -hmm. there's something that's much more uh, more difficult to get over than than identification with a a nationality or an identity like uh, is, and that is your, your own personal beliefs, you know, um, mm-hmm. Once you've gone through the process of getting over those, that then uh, dismissing uh, things like uh, patriotism and or getting over things like patriotism and, and wanting to believe in your country being the greatest country on earth is is quite easy. Or people are, are more easy to do. But I think the problem with these people who are these kind of authoritarians who will believe in their leader no matter what, the other people who haven't suffered mm-hmm. enough in their own in their own, they're not they're not aware enough of their own bullshit and their own la- the lies that that they tell to themselves. They haven't suffered mm-hmm. enough as a result of any lies they tell to themselves, so uh, they're not in a position to to go through that difficult process of, uh, are not able to go through that process of um, kind of calling a spade a spade, calling, you know, accepting the truth of something mm-hmm. no matter what. Uh, and Neil was asking earlier on what what is it that uh, leads people to want to know the truth no matter what? Because everybody wants to know the truth, um, or thinks they already know it. Well, everybody wants to know the no. Everybody wants to know the truth, quote unquote. But uh, very few people want to know the truth, no matter what. Uh, mm-hmm. If I tell someone, uh, <clears throat> they, some, someone might say to me, "Yeah, I want to know the truth uh, all the time." I can say, um, I can maybe point out if I know enough information to point out uh, an uncomfortable truth about themselves or their own relationships or something about their lives, and that's where it becomes clear that it's not. It's not no matter what. It's with it with uh, mm-hmm. with strings attached, or it's 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 qualified. Um, so, and, and again, those are the people who have not suffered enough as a result of their own lives themselves. They haven't been exposed there. They just haven't had that experience. Yeah. People who have had that experience um, have realized that um, lies have, have understood through their experiences, through maybe many lifetimes or whatever, have experienced that lies that you tell to yourself and that other people tell you, they are more painful. They know it viscerally that they are more painful than the truth. And that's why mm-hmm. those people want the truth no matter what. Because they realize lies are more painful. Yes. Yeah. Well, also, you might say that, that um, just just going back to, you know, the uh, I was just thinking that, that human beings by nature are very risk-averse. And when you get people going back to the refugee crisis, who, you know, the, the Greeks, bless them, are, uh, you know, have these refugees and they show up and what little they have, they share, they take care of these people and then they are criminalized for it. They are charged for it. 
So first mm-hmm. of all, it's saying that that you, you know, acting as a human being is wrong. Anybody who's an authoritarian will just simply take that. Okay, they said these people are wrong for acting like real human beings, and so I'm not going to act that way. I mean, and we see it in the states too. I'm, you know, to to do something plain and decent like feeding a hungry person has been criminalized. So that is a way of of also making people shy away from the truth because it is dangerous. Yeah, it is dangerous. Absolutely, it goes yeah. back to what Steve was talking about. Right, yeah, that that's an important point. That um, at, at times it'll be sh- it, it is shown to people, uh, kind of almost in a subconscious way, or they get the, they get the message that um, that to be too much of a crusader for truth, especially if you have um, the ability to influence a lot of people, that it is dangerous and can be dangerous, uh, you know, physically dangerous to you can be you can be assassinated basically, and I think that's. Uh, that um, Steve Steve talked about that yesterday, but I mean, for people, a sense of uh, kind of social ostracization is uh, is very close to uh, an existential problem for people, or it brings up existential fear almost because being being uh, ostracized or marginalized or kicked out of society is like being kicked out of your tribe, and that in the past. Um, is linked to survival issues. Well, it's linked would be similar yeah. to being de- mm-hmm. death, effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there's a very strong uh, motivation in people to remain a part of of their society and and, and fit in with their society. And if uh, and of course the media plays into this. It's not that ordinary people in any society have a you know you know prefer lies, uh, prefer falsehood over truth, for example, but. Um, they're under the influence of the media, which tells them what is acceptable in society and what isn't acceptable in society. I mean, you can and, and the media plays a very significant, probably the primary role in propagating that idea of what is socially acceptable and not in terms of truth versus lies. I mean, you can look at 9/11 and the way the 9/11 truthers were dealt with by the media, uh, and I think a lot of people, over and above their own kind of disinclination to want to believe that their governments would would have anything to do with 9/11? Uh, they also um, realized that it, uh, speaking out about that or, or, or believing in, in uh, 9/11 being an inside job, quote unquote, uh, was closely associated with being rejected by people in, in your society. And of course, uh, why does people in your community or society why do they believe that? Well, they believe that because they get it from the media, and the media sets that agenda that anybody who talks about 9/11 truth, for example, or any other truth. Uh, that is uh, unsavory or isn't uh, desired by the authorities. That it's that it's uh, an ostracizable offense. That you will be uh, laughed at or denigrated or you know you're not you won't uh, you know girls won't like guys and you know you won't get any you won't be able to hook up with any chicks in a bar if you talk about 9/11 truth basically unless you go to 9/11 truth bars those uh, true <coughs> or or it's something like you know <laughs> yeah exactly you know so. Um, and of course, this is that's at the level of society, but at the level of governments, I think it was uh, we uh, we talked about JFK uh, a little bit, mentioned him earlier on. Uh, I think the assassination of JFK sent a very clear message um, 50 years ago, more 50 years ago, that um, any president who was too much of a too much interested in, in the uncomfortable truth rather than the, the comfortable lie. Uh, any president that wanted to promote that truth um, was probably very running a very high risk of, of you know having a quick 
a very short presidency and an even shorter life. Um, so that yeah that that that's been enforced on people as well. So I mean, there's so many things in this world in this life that um, on this planet that uh, that influence or that that um, promote lies effectively or or, or um, that prevent people or attempt to stop people or uh, manipulate people to into not pursuing anything that's too truthful or too uncomfortable or too unsavory uh, that in any way is unpleasant you know um, mm-hmm. and I and I don't think and, that and, and to help them in that you know not to go to certain areas yeah they're given plenty plenty of things that are sort of plausible yeah many many narratives many many things which have a you know a healthy healthy enough dose of truth in them but they're not yeah. quite true <laughs> they're yeah. not quite true and in the end it binds you to the system of lies if you mm-hmm. want to call it that or or allow a lively discussion of truth but keep the boundaries of it very very narrow and everybody feels mm-hmm. like they're they're telling the truth but only within a small slice of mm-hmm. the entire picture exactly. and of course there's this idea of my truth uh, my own personal truth that I don't know where it came up. I just know it's part of the the, the dominant discourse or the common kind of lexicon uh, these days, which because I just see it coming out. I don't know where it started. Was is this idea of of my truth? Where someone will say, you know, when it comes down to it, if you have a a, dis, uh, a disagreement or a difference of opinion with someone, uh, that other person can ultimately end the conversation. Especially if you bring up the idea of the truth, they can simply end the conversation and say, uh, well, you have your truth and I have mine, uh, which is bizarre, you know. I mean, that's a, and I'm talking about here situations where you're not talking about opinions. You're not talking about something insignificant. You're talking about something that's supposedly historically a fact or not a fact, uh, but people still seem to be able to uh, go there and say, um, yeah, well, I will just have to agree to disagree on that one and I'll have my truth and you'll have your truth. And I mean, such a bizarre concept. I suppose it goes to the heart of human nature in the sense of people being being able to, to, to live in their own little fantasy world where they can arrange to a certain extent life around them where you know they can have lots of beliefs and have those beliefs supported or backed up by a few people or by things that they do or things that they engage in. But it's not objectively true at all. I mean, there is that ability as part of being a human being on this planet to, to do that, but only to a certain extent. And I think maybe that's where that comes from. Where people ha- have been convinced that that they can actually create a truth, you know, a create a fact, you know, uh, like the saying, the phrase, or I don't know who came up with it, but uh, the idea of you know everybody's entitled to their own opi- everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but uh, they're not entitled to their own facts, and facts do exist, mm-hmm. um, but of course in this planet, on this planet at this time, facts are extremely rare. In terms of uh, them actually getting out into the common, certainly facts about important matters are extremely rare in terms of uh, le- leaking out into uh, into public public awareness. Because uh-huh. I mean, it's just getting so much. It's getting worse and worse all the time. I mean, you look at the stuff in the Middle East and Syria and uh, Russia and the U.S. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you just. I mean, you can you can look at the media today and just get two two completely opposing views from two. Uh, particularly with the Russian resurgence of the Russian media like Sputnik and RT, you can go to one of those websites and you can read 
a story about what's happening in Syria and what Russian intentions are and what's likely to happen, uh, you can read a certain angle on that and it'll tell you all the facts of the case and why it's going to happen this way or why it is happening this way and go to the, the Guardian, even the lefty UK newspaper or any of the American newspapers, you'll read exactly the opposite. Uh, so there's an example of, you know, my truth and your truth. And apparently, you know, everybody's happy for two opposing truths, supposedly, to, to, to coexist, two opposing facts. They can't co- coexist, two opposing facts about the very same thing. There's only one fact. Something is or is not happening. And um, and I don't know. I, I don't, personally, I don't understand why people would not be interested in what the actual truth is, even if it's a bit unpleasant. But we're not even talking about things that are personal to people here that impact them and make them feel necessarily bad. I mean, talking about stuff that uh, is going on in the world that um, <clears throat> that doesn't have, uh, isn't personal to people, you know, uh, or, or directly personal to people, but they still uh, are not, don't seem to be interested in knowing what exactly is going on, you know. And again, I suppose that comes back to the fact that most people don't even think anymore. They get their information, they get their facts, quote-unquote, from their authorities, from the media, from the POTUS, from floppy head Trump, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So, People have abdicated uh, almost responsibility for for even thinking. A lot of people have, you know, they because the world is so confusing and, and, and there's so so much so much things are so many things happening are very complex. People say, well, just you know, tell me what the truth is, you know. So, and then of course that gets into diet and stuff and and people's health and their ability to actually think, which is severely compromised by the kind of food that is being forced on them mm-hmm. by uh, authorities as well. So, it's all a big mess. Yeah, you. You've well, it, it, there is an. Go ahead. No, no, you first, please. Okay, I was just going to say we, we. When one of the things we talked about yesterday, uh, I'm uh-huh. working my way through through uh, thinking fast and slow again, and uh, one of the things that he talked about in the in the various studies they did was that um, uh, going back system one, system two, system two is the the rational analyzing you know, pick things apart and figure it out kind of thing. It's very taxing on the brain. It's tiring to think about this kind of stuff. And that it is doubly tiring and opens people to propagandizing and and feeding them a ready-made story when they are tired. So you figure when, when the average person has so much on their plate in their daily life, pay the bills, you know, keep try to keep your job, uh, stressing about, you know, whatever's going on in your life, you don't have a lot of neurons left over to think about these questions. And so you're grateful you to be fed a you complete, don't have a lot coherent of, story. Right on. You don't have a lot of energy. It no, takes energy. at all. Is that, is that why the, the, yeah. the, the evening news was always broadcast at 9 o'clock? Uh, where I, <laughs> at least where I, was, where I grew up, everybody's half asleep there. Yeah, so you're already in, you're already in veg mode. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah so I, I think there's that there's that uh, almost biological level of just your level of energy <clears throat> that facilitates uh-huh. you um, taking in propaganda. And then there's, like what, what you guys mentioned earlier, there's just the, the peer pressure, the, the, the kind of will to conformity that people have. Because when you, live, when you live in a society where the vast majority of people believe something and you're the, the odd one out, it's, that in itself is an uncomfortable position to be put in. And again, there are studies, very simple ones even, like the, the classic one of the two very obviously um, differently um, or lines of different length. 
So you've got a short line and a long line, and you're in a, a room of people who are all um, kind of co-conspirators in this, in this conspiracy to mess with your mind. And they, they all say, oh, well, they're the same length. And the vast majority of people will, when it comes to their turn, will agree and say, oh, they're the same length, just to get along, um, just because they don't want to be the odd one out. And so even, even on that level where a lot of those people will know that they're you know, telling a fib, a little white lie just to go along, they'll do it. And that, the, the more extreme version of that is the lie that you actually come to believe. So there's, we are bombarded from pretty much every direction by stimuli that will that predispose us to believe in lies and not to want to look at the truth. So we, our bodies are, are not operating on an optimal level. We're tired. That incapacitates us. We are constantly presented with a false picture of reality, which then, um, because of the first factor, the, that becomes the, the dominant discourse, the dominant opinion. And then when we're confronted with information that goes against that, we're even less likely to accept it because not only are we tired, but we are we don't want to be that, you know, black sheep, that odd one out. It's just hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the importance of, of energy, having energy to to deal with reality and to process new facts in reality. And even just to seek out facts about reality because we're surrounded by by lies, um, I think something analogous to to all of this is the level of at the level of economy and finance. So if money is energy at root, like the exchange of energies, think of the financial system where you have the scarcity of real facts. In other words, in this case, in this um, in this model, it's it's uh, real things, tangible goods, actual hard currency with which to exchange them. In other words, a real economy. And then you have the phony economy above and can, you know, like a like a whole other sphere that's far bigger than the actual totality of, of the real economy. And that is, you know, funny money. I mean, the the scale. The scale is unbelievable. In the same way that you've got such a a low or an extremely large, depending on how you look at the ratio of real facts to faulty information, you've mm-hmm. got the same thing where you've got real goods, a certain number of them, and then the phony figures, which are in the quadrillions. So on the books of financial institutions, particularly in the West, but it's global, of course, are, are worth, things that are actually worthless, but nominally they are worth. I think the the current uh, the current figure going around for just one institution, which is apparently on the verge of collapsing, Deutsche Bank is sixty three trillion dollars. It it holds this uh, not real stuff, but it it must be treated as real by the real economy. In other words, if that institution falls and somebody needs to pay out, you, you can see, you know, what's going to happen next. The whole thing will, will just have a knock-on effect and it'll create a complete disaster. But it, it's... Um, in terms of our discussion about an individual eventually having to confront 
the lies he's believed, he or she has believed in his life. This is the kind of external thing that's going on right now that is making people uh, come or is, is forcing people to uh, to question all their beliefs. Simply that um, there's going to be some kind of major systemic shock. I mean, that's that's already discussed in the mainstream. It's only a question of when the next global financial crisis that we had in 2008 happens all over again. Um, so it's uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's more than analogous. It's it's literally going to take down with it all of the um, false beliefs that people everywhere hold about how the world actually works. Yeah, whether they like it or not, whether they were ready to come to that point or not. Sorry. I think, yeah, I think what, you know, in terms of looking into a crystal ball and finding, trying to understand what is going to happen, I mean, you can, it's very hard to predict exactly what's likely to happen, but it seems that based on everything we've been saying, <coughs> uh, is that there's going to be some uh, extent or some level of um, uh, unveiling of the truth uh and that's just a, it's not, not that something's going to come and, you know, um, Jesus, Jesus isn't going to come and unveil the truth to everybody or, 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 you know, or Buddha or Superman or something isn't going to come and do this. It, what's going to happen is that the whole system that is based largely on lies and, and falsehoods is going to collapse and uh, the kind of curtain will, will, will be pulled back. And uh, all of these things that are based on lies like the economy, politics, um, and even, you know, to a large extent, probably in, in people's lives, that, may, that might happen on a more progressive kind of scale and, and is happening now, I think. But on a global scale, I think at some point there's going to be something that will happen that will ultimately expose the, the falsehood of so many of the systems on which this world is built. Um, and practically speaking, when that happens, obviously, we're talking about economic collapse, you're talking about them. Um, I mean, one truth that people are are being are ignoring and, and is is being uh, presented to them increasingly is is the nature of uh, the planet itself, the ecosystem, and how it operates and how it has operated in the past, and and the way it, you know it goes through cyclical kind of catastrophes and upheavals. And this is something that is being ignored, and uh, the, the the dominant scientific discourse on that is that the, obviously that the the planet, you know was born so, so many billion years ago and will continue on, you know, okay, the sun will come and melt the planet uh, in, in three billion years and everything will continue on as it has always done since then. But, I mean, there's lots of uh, archaeological evidence to show that the planet goes through cyclical kind of upheavals, ge- uh, geologic or uh, environmental up- upheavals. And um, that's just simply one truth that has been denied and is being denied and is, is being shown to people as uh, that it is a lie by events that are happening on the planet that, again, will get to the point where if people don't wake up to it and see it for what it is, uh, then uh, suddenly the responsibility for believing in that lie beyond all reason gets dumped on ordinary people's laps, you know? And it's just, it's kind of heartbreaking uh, and really annoying. (laughs) Uh, If that's... uh, if that's the right word, to see how just how persistent people are in 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 believing or not recognizing the truth of certain things and 
how it really has to get to a really bad situation before people will accept that, okay, begrudgingly accept that, okay, that's the truth, okay, you know. And again, it's, like I said, it's, you know, there's some leeway given to people because they are propagandized against so often. But the truth has its own propaganda, uh, which is increasingly making itself felt. And at some point, on balance, it's going to be fair to say that really people should have accepted the, the hard facts in their faces, uh, and if if they had accepted them before before if they accept them before that point or if they had accepted them before that point, then maybe um, things wouldn't have got so bad. Because I think that all the only thing that's being asked of people of the, of the human race here by by life by reality is that they simply accept at least to a reasonable degree accept what is accept the truth about things. And if you persist in refusing to do that, well, then eventually there's no choice for, but for the truth to simply come and, like I say, fall on your head or drop in your lap, and that's when you jump up and go and scream and go, what the hell is that? You know? Like a big dirty rat falling on your lap, you know? Where the hell did that come from, you know? And you've been living in a rat house for years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to come back to... Go ahead. <laughs> do, yeah. I want to come back to the idea of um, morality like in politics. Now, one of the things that, um, that I've noticed over the past few months, well, ever since Russia got involved in Syria, is that, um, I mean, I noticed that as soon as it happened, pretty much everyone that I follow, or most, the vast majority of people that I follow in the alternative media kind of really got on board with the um, with the Russian campaign. So it seems there's a, like there's a lot of support not only for, for Putin personally, but for, for Russia, uh, you know, in concert with the Syrian government and Assad. Uh, but there are still a few others, you know, within the main, within well, with, of course, pretty much everyone in the mainstream, but a few also in the alternative media that um, are kind of still very much not, you know, either anti-Putin or at least... Um, making sure to point out all the possible bad things about Russia, the Russian government, and Putin uh, personally. So that you know, it got me thinking because one of the one of the arguments that they're that they're making um, is that to support Putin, to support Russia, is akin to supporting just simply the lesser of two evils. So this it would so let's. If you take like a presidential campaign, a U.S. presidential campaign, and just extrapolate it to the entire world, instead of just having two presidents, one of whom is slightly less evil than the other, you have Putin and Russia, which is only slightly less evil than the U.S., and therefore we should not support um, in any way, really, um, the Russian, Russian campaign in Syria or, the, or Vladimir Putin in particular. Um, what do you guys think about that? Any takers? Um, well, there's a problem with that, as far as I'm concerned, and it's that um, on on balance, um, and you can look at it. I mean, of course, this comes down to you know how much truth you're willing to accept or are able to accept. But on balance, the the West, the Americans and the British in particular, have. Uh, 
are, are far ahead in the race over the past 15, 20, 30 years of, of, of lie telling, of telling lies and of, of, of selling, the, selling the world uh, a pack of lies uh, compared, to, compared to Russia. Uh, so um, quantitatively and qualitatively, uh, the lies being told coming out of the West are far greater than the lies that are that are coming out of, of Russia. So to say that both of them are, are kind of neck and neck are just kind of two sides of the same coin is not true on, on that score, you know. And, um, I mean, you can look at it in various different ways. I mean, Russia has not uh, invaded any foreign sovereign country. Uh, and then they say Ukraine. But that's what, but, well, that's, that's, that's not the same because... Crimea was uh, a very particular case. I mean, I'm looking here about, uh, I'm talking here about, um, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya, etc. These are these going are, ten thousand miles away and right, blowing and crap out of people countries yeah. and telling people. I mean, everybody knows. I mean, since in 2003, everybody knows that America sold and the Brits sold uh, the Iraq War uh, on a lie, on a deliberate, obvious lie. Um, Russia hasn't done that. Russia, Russia hasn't said that it wanted to, for example, invade Indonesia because there were terrorists there that threatened, uh, that had attacked Russia and then gone halfway around the world to, to blow, blow the crap out of Indonesia or anything like that. I mean, just, I mean there's so much evidence that uh, for, for over the past you know, 50, 60 years even that the, American, the Anglo-American Empire is a dominant uh, force for uh, destruction and decay and suffering in this world. I mean, all you have to do is look at history to show that that's, that's the truth. And here we're talking about, here we're not talking about internally, you know. Because obviously you can cite examples of, uh, you know, stuff during the, the Soviet era in Russia or whatever. You know, you could come up with certain things to show that internally in Russia, you know, the Russians are just as evil type thing. But that's not what we're talking about. Any country, uh, how any country deals with uh, its own internal politics is not... Is not cannot be used as a standard mm-hmm. in, in the way that we're talking about here because we're talking globally here we're talking about what power in the world today uh, has or has had over the past hundred years let's say significant or more significant uh, or the most global influence and has exerted and used that influence uh, the most obviously you're talking here about the Americans and the British over the, even going back 300 years and then you look at the results of that and you see that it's basically been about domination and control and exploitation and uh, you know uh, exp- uh, yeah, exploiting the, as much of the rest of the world for the, the benefit of the Americans and the British so um, under the lie of civilizing right under people. the lie of civilizing it so I mean that's an egregious lie you know I mean that, that's, their, that's their track record so uh, Russia cannot compete with that you know and uh, the thing is that at the minute, as well, it's quite clear. <clears throat> even from uh, you, just, you just have to look at some of the uh, some of the press conferences from the U.S. State Department, uh, where they are obviously lying. They're obviously going to extreme degrees that even a, a kind of you know child could uh, see. Uh, uh, could tell from the body can t- reaction. Can t- well, can tell from what they say that they're yeah. telling lies, that they're making stuff up, so that they're being disingenuous. They're not telling the truth about certain things. Um, for example, um, 
that famous one where the, this U.S. State Department guy was talking, giving a press conference saying about uh, how Russia was uh, an aggressor, uh, was moving beyond its borders. And uh, the, that guy, one of, the, one of the journalists said, well, I think it's probably more true to say that NATO, i.e. the USA, has been pushing right up to uh, Russia's border. So Russia is being threatened. It's not that Russia is threatening. And uh, everybody knows that. It's, it's self-evident. That's a fact on the yeah. ground that no one can, can dispute. And the U.S. State Department the guy said, uh, well, we don't see it that way. <laughs> yes, okay, but you don't see the fact as a fact is what you're saying. So, I mean, that's just one example of the kind of things, the kind of way that, I mean, it gives a real insight into their, into their entire policy and the fact that they are, uh, in that single case, you can expand that out and understand that the U.S., uh, the policy of the U.S. of successive U.S. governments has been to go around the world and dominate and control and threaten other countries into submission to, to do what the Americans want them to do, and then lie about it and call it freedom and democracy and you know diplomacy. Uh, there's loads of evidence to show that's the case. Now, Russia, in that situation, Russia is is the one being threatened. Russia is being abused, like other countries, by this American policy of uh, imperial expansion, effectively. Uh, so. That puts Russia in the in the camp naturally in the camp of having to defend itself against those lies. So, logically, what you're going to get more often than not from Russia is the truth about what's going on, and that has been said. Russia, the Russians have come out and, and repeatedly said about how NATO is pushing right up to Russia's border, threatening Russia, trying to make Russia feel uh, insecure, and that's all evident. Anybody can uh, prove that, uh, ascertain that for themselves. Um, so. The important thing about this then is that, having established that, is that the value of Russia and why you should not just see Russia as another evil empire is that Russia is in the business of exposing the lies, the dominant lies of the American government that are global lies, that are lies that are spread around the world and influence so many people's minds. And Russia is in the position, has been put in the position of having to defend itself against those lies. And how do you defend yourself against lies? The best way to do it, and Russia is no stranger to this, and Russia, the Russian government knows it very well, the best way to defend against lies is to tell the truth. And Russia tells the mm -hmm. truth as mm -hmm. often as it possibly can. So, yeah. in that, and also that, that, that... Go ahead. I was just going to say that, that uh, you know, e even if you only take the last 15 years of history, you know, if, say from the time that Russia started to pull itself together. Uh, every statement they have has been backed up by coherent action. They match. We're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, and it's followed all the way down the line. You know, then, and that's, right. that's what's given them such credibility, I think, is, is that Putin said, you know, he gave his speech at the UN, and then there's the speech he gave in 2007, you know, saying... Mm -hmm. This is what we see happening. It's all happening. Um, you know, he right. didn't fear monger. He didn't insult people. Uh, but they just, but they've been very straightforward, and and that has to have a positive effect. Like here's a country yeah. that says, this is our goals. This is why we're doing it. Um, these are the actions we're going to take. No more, no less. And there it is. I think mm -hmm. that's a. That's one of those traits of, of, of real leadership on Putin's part. And like when I hear the, the arguments of just the, the lesser of two evils, I think I, I try to get into the, the real context and try to get as, as many facts as possible on what's going on to, you know, 
in the situation in the country in question in order to get an idea of of the the reality of the situation on the ground and i just think about like back on uh jfk because i like jfk i think a lot of people do and they see him as uh, a true leader and someone who was genuinely a good person and his brother rfk and but if you look back at the united states in the early 60s or even in the 50s it was not a good country it is you know if for for a, for a century more it has not been a good country there have been plenty of things wrong with the country so i just imagine that if a lot of the people who think that they have valid criticisms of of russia and putin if they were back in the in you know 1963 they'd be enemies of jfk and that just strikes me as absurd because no matter how bad the system is that does not mean that the that there can't be a good leader who is doing whatever he or she can to slowly even even incrementally inch their way out of that that bad situation to create a better one and that's mm. how i see putin is operating because i mean i've talked to russians and arguably you know russia isn't a utopia it isn't the greatest place to live uh you know in the history of the planet there are problems of corruption there are you know there are economic problems but what what we've seen over the past 15 years has been this steady change at, and at least it is heading in a different direction and that is very hard when you think about how big russia is how big any country is even small countries you think about all the factors that are that are going on all of the existing institutions all of the um just kind of societal habits that have been formed to lead to to create the present situation that is a ton to deal with and it is mm. very difficult it requires a lot of information a lot of people on the same page doing the same thing and working in the same direction so of course mm. no matter who is in charge you're going to have governors or you know local leaders who are going to be corrupt you're going to have people in your own government who are corrupt but it is very hard to just totally clean house that like that's a yeah. it's not a very practical thing to do and that in itself creates a kind of power vacuum within your own country so i think that that uh putin for the past 15 years seems to have been doing things very intelligently and heading in an actual good a, a, a direction that's actually better than um than russia was in the 90s mm-hmm. so Absolutely. i just can't understand yeah i i just can't understand um where the kind of the the desire the the impulse to just need to to criticize comes from and not to be able to to see um like the difference between someone like Putin and then like the presidential candidates the way i see the mm-hmm. the presidential candidates in the US it is a matter of just whoever might be the slighter lesser of all these evils and there aren't any real good choices in in the but so it's it's like if i have a um a piece of paper with a bunch of circles on it and you've got your your worst candidate your worst your worst possible candidates to your best possible candidate all the all the worst ones are filled by the by the existing presidential candidates i i think that it would be possible to have to find you know a good american that would potentially be a good leader for america but that that person if he or she exists is not <laughs> no one knows who they are and they're not a, a big thing they don't like they're just not part of the system they're not public they're not um a viable option because they're just not there and with a with an individual like Putin I think I I think that he is a genuinely good person mm-hmm. and at least at least based on what I what I what I've seen about the man and we in like in the United States 
we just uh, haven't seen that. There's there's no there's no equivalent that we've seen, you know, in the American presidential race for the past 60 years. Well, the system mm-hmm. drives them out too. You know, if if most presidential candidates develop from the local level of politics, a lot of them bail somewhere around between mayors and state governors because the system itself becomes untenable for anybody who has any kind of integrity or sense of, of responsibility. It, it, it just weeds them out right off the hop. The rat house. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, most people have no idea of uh, how, how these power brokers in the world, and including obviously you're talking about America and, and Europe and even in like people like Erdogan, etc. People don't realize that... Um, these people don't—they uh, have no interest whatsoever in in the lives of the ordinary people. They're so divorced from from the lives of the ordinary people. Uh, they've been brought up in a, in a climate uh, that 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 teaches them that um, to to effectively that they're that they're separate from ordinary people. That that ordinary people. Uh, are simply to be controlled, simply to be ruled, you know, and they have no real say and no real influence uh, because they're taught uh, to believe in their own um, almost divinely ordained right to be leaders. They're, they're better than these ordinary people. Obviously, I'm the president, therefore I'm better than the ordinary person. Uh, why am I better than the ordinary person? Because I'm the president. Uh, I got to be president and, and the ordinary person didn't. They're not capable. I'm capable. I'm better. And it feeds a narcissism and a a self-aggrandizement to, to the point where these people live in their own little world and right now they're all playing this space and have been for a long time play they're playing this kind of power game you know uh, where they're in it for themselves and their own uh, sense of power and control over as much of the planet as possible uh, and obviously the things over which they are uh, exerting and uh, control uh, those things aren't to be consulted about how they're to be controlled. You don't consult the people how you're going to control them. You simply control them. Uh, and these people are just consumed with, the, with, with that uh, desire for power, uh, personal power. And, you know, it's, people really are irrelevant. Uh, ordinary people on this planet to, to these uh, authorities are completely irrelevant, uh, uh, except in the sense that... Um, except in a functional sense, right. perhaps. Yeah, except in the sense mm-hmm. that, that they're to be controlled and they're not to be consulted, certainly. Uh, and that's why the whole idea of democracy at this point in uh, in history is just uh, <laughs> just laughable, really, you know. Um, and, and for any elections, like the elections in the U.S. Are, are laughable as well because it's not about the people uh, electing anybody. It's about uh, the system uh, perpetuating itself, uh, the system of control perpetuating itself, and they simply... Um, you know, it's, the presidential elections are more or less uh, like um, the way the Pope is elected. You know, we have a bunch of stuffy, uh, stuffy, fruity cardinals all go into the, some room in the Vatican, Vatican and they burn a fire and, you know, probably chant something and sacrifice a few things or something. And, and, and then uh, they decide who gets to wear the, the pointy hat. Uh, next time, just this small clique of individuals who all get together and decide who gets to be the front man, and that's pretty much what um, that's the process of the U.S. president's election. You know, exactly the same, really. Mm-hmm. And the people are irrelevant. You know, they just have to be brought along with the charade. Well, they, they get to participate in the ceremony. Yeah, yeah, they can they can clap 
they're allowed to clap mm-hmm. <laughs> at, 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 the, at the inauguration. But, uh, yeah, so, um, <clears throat> I don't know, the whole thing's just... That's the biggest lie I think people need to come to terms with. The, <clears throat> the truth about their powerlessness. And in mm-hmm. the process, you realize that... Um, you, you, you realize a number of things, but among them is that you develop an, a kind of an internal power. Yeah, you can take back your power by realizing yeah. your powerlessness in that sense. But you, you need know? to realize That's it first. Yeah, that you never had any power. That mm-hmm. the way that you thought you had power, the power that was being told you were being told you had, was illusory. Uh, and then you can so give up because once you're, as long as you're fixated on that illusion of power, of of any control or any influence you have, uh, you're, you're caught in that trap. And and there is no uh, influence that you have, but you believe there is. And therefore, that's the best way to perpetuate you in a, in, in a position of having no influence. <clears throat> when you realize you have, have no influence, that it's an illusion, that it's a lie, but you don't have a say, at least then you can kind of like wake up and, you know, uh, come out of the trance effectively and, and then decide what you're, go- what you're going to do, what you can do and what you can't do and make choices for yourself. But while you're fo- focused on the, on the great and powerful odds, you know, <clears throat> the booming voice and the big picture on the screen... Uh, and, and held enthralled to that, uh, you're you're just you're being manipulated, you know, and uh, your power is being taken away from you, taken away from you because you're you're held, you're being held in a position of not being able to exercise that power because you think you have power that you mm. don't actually have. Uh, when God. you give up the ghost on power, that's when you can begin to truly learn to love. Today's Valentine's Day, and billions of people are buying gifts and stuff and expressing their love for each other. But really, most of those people, if, if they don't quite hate each other's guts, they, they have all kinds of serious issues, you know. You know, the quality of that love, in quotes, is abysmal. And we wouldn't even properly be called love in most cases. It's uh, codependency, it's um, power games, you know, on an interpersonal level. Um, give up the ghosts on questing power and domination, or at least... Vicariously uh, from your illusions about the world and how it works, and then you make room to start to learn to truly love other people as you wish to be loved. That's probably the only. It's probably it's the one thing that I think that people really seek. You know, if they really thought about it, that's that's what I want. Yes, not power, but they need to be able to realize that they've been seeking power and domination or money and riches and fame, transient things that are actually impeding their ability to find what really gives them permission. Which is real real, uh, communication or real um, connection with other people. Uh, That's where your power comes from, is your connection with other people, uh, like-minded people and people who think and see the world in the same way as you. And together you can... uh, You can... uh, You can... Bitch about the world together. Well, together you can <laughs> you can possess or you can have a, a power that you yourself would would would, would ne- could never hope to have, uh-huh. you know, um, uh, and, and an influence that you can never hope to have if you simply uh, understand that it's 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 always been about your own relationships with other people uh, around you. That's what's always been most important to anybody. But people are distracted by this uh, fixation on authority, and there's nothing wrong with authority. 
in essence, but the problem today is that the authorities that we have are just there for the power and control for its own sake, and they have no interest and no concern for the ordinary people. And in fact, they're responsible for destroying uh, and, and really negatively influencing the kind of potential that people have for having communities and strong community ties. Uh, these authorities have gone a long way to uh, really uh, separate people and, and stop them from um, finding that connection with each other. And uh, they need to be ditched, you know, and because and you don't need them, really. I mean, you can have authority in your own community or in your own, you can have your own little tribal authority or tribal clique, whatever, and, and that's mo- that's enough for the vast majority of people. It's just it's just a bizarre kind of situation where yeah, where, where that natural tendency has been has been expanded out to like an entire country and up yeah. to one person, uh, people living over three hundred million people, like in the US yeah, or something. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, people. It's a recipe pe- for disconnection. People pretend the connection with. Uh, with so if they get riled up, there's something that happened to a, 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 a fellow oh. countryman somewhere. And they get riled up, and they're angry as if as if the injury done to the other person, you know, was done to them. Mm-hmm. But on the on another day, if that other person was homeless on the street, they they spit on them and walk walk on by. It, that's an absolutely bizarre one. But it, it taps into what people see connection with each other, um, but then completely abuses it. Yeah, so. Yeah, in a way, the globalists are kind of kind of right when they say that the nation state is obsolete. But of course, it always it has been for a long time. It was to begin with, uh, but their solution to it's just as hellish. A global country under their rule. Yeah. Well, listen, guys. I think we're gonna. Unless you've got anybody got any other points they want to make. I just want to make nope. one point. Bahar, yes. Um, and the caller, Stephen, um, yeah. well, he said that the people around him, they strongly believe in lies or they know that they're lies, but they can't really say it because other people won't accept them and they will feel pretty lonely out there. And I got the impression that um, maybe he feels kind of alone with the way he thinks about the world and people around him kind of, you know, believing in the lies and not really being interested to find it out or to speak about it and to connect with other people. And I guess one thing you can do is maybe plant some seeds of truth here and there, you know, make a suggestion and see if people are interested enough, you know, to be interested to ask you maybe about a book or maybe a link to something and to maybe maybe try to connect with people in ways that interest them and see if that can grow into anything more, you know? Mm-hmm. That they will continue searching for truth if they find some foundation or something. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, that's that's good advice, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. All right, thanks, Bahar. Um, well, that, that, that's a good... Uh, that's a good bit of advice for everybody. I think everybody, anybody who's listening who finds themselves in a similar position. Um, yeah, so I think we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks, uh, Harrison and Carolyn and Bahar, for sharing your insights. Thank you for having us. 
Yeah, Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And we will be back uh, next week. Hopefully, we might, next week we might may or may not be on Blog Talk Radio. That's a yeah that's a, 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 a big revelation there. So uh, we have to wait and see, but it'll be a good day when we're not on Blog Talk Radio anymore because the sound quality will be so much better. It already is on our beta beta site of our own radio network. Uh, but hopefully we'll be transitioning to that completely pretty soon. But for those of you who follow us via Blog Talk Radio, yeah. we're probably going to still advertise next week's show there. Yeah. And so you'll, you'll get the link for a little while. We're phasing it out step by step as yeah. we bring the other one online. You know, it's like turning down Blog Talk Radio and turning up the all-new radio.sat.net. So, um, yeah. So stay tuned for more information on that. Uh, but, yeah, so again, thanks to our listeners and to <clears throat> Steve and our caller and you three guys again. Yeah, we'll be back next week. So until then, have a good one. Take care, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.